as our Old Testament scripture, and our New Testament scripture will be followed by Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Amen? Psalm 127 and 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Amen? Amen. New Testament scripture, Matthew chapter number 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah for his word. Hallelujah. Turning lives around. Turning lives around. 
Let us stand before the Lord in prayer. Hallelujah. Father God, we come before you this morning, Lord God, thanking and praising you, Lord God, for one more chance to come together to lift you up, Lord God, and to, that you may draw all men unto yourself, Lord. And we thank you for that opportunity, Lord God, in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord God, we ask that you would just have your way in this place today, Lord God, like never before, Lord God, as we know that you can and you will do. Meet us at the point of our need, for you are what we need you to be when we need you to be it. You are our everything, Lord God. We ask, dear Heavenly Father, that you would just have your way in this place, Lord God. Move on us individually and collectively, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, that you might get all the glory and all the honor. Lord God, bless the shepherd of this house from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And all those that is connected unto him, Lord God. Those things that he prays to you about in private, Lord God, that lines up with your word, Lord God. You said that you would reward him openly, Lord God. And we thank you in advance, Lord God, for that, Lord God. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord. Remember the absent part of the body, Lord God, this day, Lord God. And have your way as we turn this service over into your hands, that you may do with it what you will. Save, heal, and deliver, and setting people free. And we'll thank you and praise you humbly, Lord God. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Praise in our hearts, oh God. 
We are thirsty for you, God. We're looking for you, God. We're expecting you, God. Thank you, Lord. Because that's exactly who you are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, way miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Coming after a while. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. At this time, if everybody has given an offering, if you have not given, please do so at this time. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive, God. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Please make your way forward to give, give, give. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If everyone is giving in the offering, we'd like to stretch our hands towards the offering and give God thanks. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this day, oh God. We thank you for those who were able to give in the offering, oh God. God, we thank you for those who were not able to give, Lord Jesus. But God, we just ask you to just touch their hearts. Lord, just make a way in their finances so that they can give at the next appointed time, oh God. We ask you to bless this house, oh God. Bless this house, oh God, and meet the needs. In the name of Jesus, amen. situation is already
control here and now. Take control. Take control.
right now or for those of you that are tuned in, that he is in your presence wherever you are at, whether it be an automobile, whether you be on the beach, whether you be in your living room, your, your bedroom, your kitchen. If you believe that God is with you right now, you ought to just praise him. You ought to just worship him. You ought to lift your voice before him. You ought to stop everything else that you're doing and just magnify the name of the Lord. For the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run in and are saved. celebrate our praise team. Hallelujah. 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 You may be seated. Truly we give honor to God. We're so thankful to each of you that has made your way here to the household of faith. We salute again those that have tuned in via technology that have joined us from all across the globe by faith and prophetically we celebrate the west campus of grace and mercy fellowship center in california hallelujah god is doing something there god is moving in the midst of the people there and you're going to see more and more and more and more joining in with us hallelujah so we celebrate them, and we keep speaking life into that campus. We're so thankful to God for the ability to reach them and to minister God's word of truth to them. We're living in a time now where truth is not often preached anymore. Only that which tickles our ears and satisfies our own desires. Hallelujah. But I'm so thankful to God. I'm so thankful to God. For you that are faithful, who have stood with me and kept coming and kept coming and kept coming, and I believe that this word of the Lord today is for you. You know, the Lord will not determine how much news you watch. The Lord's not going to determine how many shows you watch on television. That's your decision to make. The Lord's not going to determine how much time you put into reading his word. That's your decision. But I can tell you that if you fill yourself with the things of the world, you will find yourself in despair. Because if you look at everything that's going on there's not a whole lot of good news out there or at least they're not sharing the good news I don't know if you've been paying attention but 
our own government is at the point where it's tearing itself apart. The word of the Lord tells me that anything that's divided against itself can't stand. And we, as the people of this great nation, wonder why things cannot get done. It's because there is division in our government. And when they're spending more time attacking each other rather than attacking the issues in the land, the issues in the land will drive the people to a place of hopelessness. We in the body of Christ, because we dwell in the land, are not abstract or removed from the suffering that is in the land. Even in this city of Columbus, believe that we're at 142 homicides. That's 142 families that are affected by a move of violence across this city. Sickness is on the rise. The Delta variant of the COVID-19 virus is still claiming lives. Just the other day, I believe Ohio eclipsed over 7,000 new cases of COVID-19. People are still losing jobs. Money is running out. Help from a divided government is failing. Our reach across the world is diminishing. We, who claim to be the greatest nation on the planet, I believe are in a place of being humbled. So much immorality is in the land, so much trouble is in the land, and we, as the body of Christ, can't help but be affected by it. And some of us, who may even be directly connected to some of the things that are going on, might be in a place where you feel like you're running on empty. You know, typically when you're struggling financially and you've got to get from point A to point B, you don't go into the filling station to just fill up the car because every dollar counts. So we try to figure out how many miles I can get out of a gallon and can I stretch it just a little bit so I, I just put enough in the tank to get there. I've got to eat this week, and I've got to get to work this week, and so I'm going to put $4 in the tank, and they say, and a wing and a prayer. I'm going to lay hands on my automobile, and just, if God can multiply loaves and bread, might he multiply my MPG? Because I need this other $5 or the 9 that I all I got to get me. So we get to a place where we become used to 
or conditioned to run on empty. The default condition of the human condition is emptiness. It's chaos. And though you may be feeling like you're running on empty, and everything that you're seeing is fueling the emptiness that you feel, emptiness in the sense that if just one more thing happens. Just, just, just one more. I'm at my breaking point. I'm at that place where I just don't know. These shoulders are broad, but they can only stand so much. Well, I came here today to give you good news. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, he said good news. I know good news is hard to come by, but I came today with a word from the Lord to give you good news. News that contradicts the news that you've been hearing and seeing in the land today. Hallelujah. Turn with me in the word of God to the 41st chapter of the book of Isaiah. The 41st chapter of the book of Isaiah. And I'm going to start at the 8th verse and read down to the 20th. Hallelujah. Isaiah 41, 8 through 20. And the word of the Lord reads like this. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. You should underline, highlight, I have chosen. The seed of Abraham, my friend, you ought to underline my friend. Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee. You ought to underline, I have chosen thee. And not cast thee away. You ought to circle that a few times. Not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. You ought to underline that. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. You ought to circle strengthen. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that are incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them and shalt not find them, even them that contended with thee. They that war against thee shall be as nothing, and as a thing of naught. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and yea, men of Israel. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth. Thou shalt thresh the mountains and beat them small, 
It shall make the hills as shave. Thou shalt fan them, and the wind shall carry them away. And the whirlwind shall scatter them, and thou shalt rejoice in the Lord. And shall glory in the Holy One of Israel. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the shitter tree, and the myrtle, and the oil tree. And I will set in the desert the fir tree, and the pine, and the box tree together, that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this, and the Holy One of Israel hath created it. As you take your seat, look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, God is with me. God, we understand by reading the word, has the power to protect and to provide for his people. In the text, we are talking about the people of Israel, but in context to the understanding of what defines the people of God, the people of God are no longer just connected to an ethnicity or a locale, but they are them that believe. Are there any believers in the house? If you are a believer, then you are his people. The first thing you've got to understand. Because you believe, you are counted as being in the body of Christ. And this is a wonderful guarantee to us who believe, who sense that at times we fail God. Maybe someone here today or someone listening has been in a place where they feel like they just haven't hit the mark. They've fallen short of that line that they uh, have put out there for themselves, that place that they feel like uh, I've done these things that in some way disqualify me feel like they fail God and they don't just fail him a few times. Sometimes they fail him often and fall short of his glory. I'm here to tell you that Israel failed the Lord repeatedly and miserably disappointing God time and time again. I know that this is true of some of us today in our daily walk with Christ. In this struggle that exists between the spirit man and the carnal man. The war that rages in us that sometimes we stand in victory. But if we're going to be honest, sometimes we stand in defeat. I came here today to tell you that the Lord loves his people. The Lord never ceases to reach out to his people right where his people are. The amazing thing about the song that we sung preceding the sermon 
was that God is here with us. God will go to where you are to meet you in your condition. Because he loves us. Now for generations in the text, Israel had been oppressed. Not only by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, but by all of the surrounding nations who preceded these two world empires. And they would suffer continual hardship and domination from a stream of tyrants down throughout history. Much of which was connected directly to the sin condition in their life. In Isaiah's day, few of the Jews in this time genuinely trusted God or lived righteous lives according to the law that God had established. In fact, most who were living were living in a state of unbelief. They were rejecting God and they were engaging in sinful and unrighteous behavior, yet the Lord loves his people. This is a lesson for us. We cannot be sometimesy with love. Love has to be as fervent when things are bad just as it is when they're good. I can't just love you when you're acting right and doing right and talking right and being right. If I love you, I love you in whatever state you may be in. I might not like what you're doing. I might not like what you're saying. I may not like how you're behaving, but I still, if I truly love you with the love of God, have to continue on. In this present scripture, God stirs Isaiah to give encouragement and hope to his people. Because if they truly believed and followed him, he wanted them to understand that he would use his power to deliver them from their captivity and would protect and provide for them every step of their journey. And when I went before the Lord to find out what it was I needed to speak to you about this morning, God wanted me to remind you of his promise to Israel because Israel is the body of Christ and we who believe are counted as members of the body of Christ. So God wants you to understand that he has made some promises to you, not conditional promises, but promises based solely on his love for you. The first thing that God does is he assures his people that they are his chosen servants. You all look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, God picked me. God picked me. Matter of fact, you all for those of you that are tuning in, if you're fussing with somebody in the house, you ought to tell them, God still picked me. Sometimes you got to tell the enemy, yeah, but God still picked me. You know how when the enemy is reminding you of stuff that you did that you know you shouldn't have done, you can still look back at him and say, you're right, but God still picked me. I'm his chosen servant. God looked into my history and still decided that he loved me and he chose me knowing what I was going to be, 
who I was going to be, how I was going to behave, what I was going to say, where I was going to find myself. He still said, I love you and I choose you. He picked me. He didn't pick me last because I was the only one left, but he picked me. And in the timing of God, he picked me first. He picked you first. Because before the foundation of the world was, he had already predetermined that you were going to be in him. So you have a confidence that tells you that you are a child of God, a joint heir with Christ. God himself addresses the people of Israel by identifying them as my servant and Jacob, whom I have chosen. God then calls them the descendants of Abraham, his friend. So God didn't just choose me. God likes me. <laughs> Y'all may not like me, but God likes me. Every once in a while, you ought to remind folk, you may not like me, but Jesus likes me. Amen. He says that we are his friend. Now, these are titles that hold great honor. Consider for yourself what a privilege it is to be a servant of God, chosen by God, a descendant of Abraham and his friend. I was listening to an interview between a golfer, I know that that's a shock, and his caddy. And they were talking about how their relationship developed and it is that of supervisor or boss and worker is where it starts. The golfer is the boss, the caddy is the worker. And oftentimes you'll see in the golfing world, caddies will shift from one golfer to another until they find that right fit where they can complement each other. And they were talking to this young golfer by the name of Kevin Na, and he was identifying the relationship that had begun to develop between him and his caddy and how they were able to get on the same page and do uh, have the same understanding of what it was that uh, he was trying to accomplish on the golf course. And he said, but at this point, while all of that is important, we became friends. They were talking about whether or not he would continue with this particular caddy, and his response was, he is my friend. Friend identifies a relationship, a connection that goes beyond something professional. But it indicates something intimate. When God is telling you that you are his friend, what God is telling you is you have an intimate connection with him. I'm not just a fancy, I'm not just a drive-by, I'm not just a one and done, but God wants to have lasting relationship with me. 
This reminds me of the word written by the psalmist which asks the question, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Well, God has always pursued a close relationship with his chosen people, even those in Isaiah's day, and he would offer them the privilege of knowing him, not just distantly, but intimately, just as God was doing in that day, God is doing in this day. There are a lot of enemies that are facing us. We are perplexed and surrounded by many enemies. We have enemies in the government. We have enemies in science. We have enemies in finance. We have enemies in health. We have all these things that are pressing in against us. But God wants you to understand that you have an intimate connection with him. You are his friend and he's got your back. This is a great privilege. In fact, God has usually offered the privilege of knowing him personally to both Jew and Gentile. But the human race has always chosen to reject this most wonderful offer of relationship and privilege with God. Even though God had chosen the Israelites in this text to be his very special servants, they had often proved unfaithful. And consequently, God was forced to continually discipline and punish them. Here it is, God's purpose to give his people great assurance. God used the Assyrians and the Babylonians to punish them, even as God has to at times punish us for our daily sin today through sickness and poverty and failed relationships and hardships and uh, so many more things. But the Lord would still one day gather them from the ends of the earth because they are his people and he promised that he would never forsake them nor leave them. They are his servants chosen by him. Therefore, he would not forget them in their hour of travail. He would not reject them. He would set them free from the Babylonian captivity so they could return to the promised land. I come here today to tell you that God came to set you free from the Babylonian captivity that's afflicting your mind and your body and your pocket and your family and his breaking you. God said I came to break the shackles that have been binding you. Because I want to return you to the land of promise. God assured his people that he would protect them. He would protect them in the here and the now. You've heard me often say that it's wonderful to know that God did awesome stuff way back when, but is he still doing awesome stuff today? I, 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 it, it's good to know that God will manifest himself for others, but will he manifest himself for me? It's wonderful news that God delivered Daniel from the lion's den. It's awesome news that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were delivered from the fire furnace. It's wonderful news. But will that happen for me? Will God meet me in the here 
and the now, in my present distress, in what I am experiencing right now. God's promise of freeing his people from the coming captivity is encouraging, especially if you are a true believer who endured the Babylonian captivity. But you see, they needed far more than just a distant or future hope of deliverance. We today sometimes get a word from the Lord through a prophet or a minister or some anointed vessel of God. and It sounds great, but what we are looking for is the manifestation of the word for true encouragement. You see, the righteous believers needed to know that God was with them day by day, even in their painful circumstances. So God did what only God could do. He met their need and gave them a most wonderful promise, whether in the present or in the future and in whatever circumstances God's people were not to fear. And he gives us reasons why we should not be anxious or afraid. And I want to leave these reasons with you so that when you leave here today, you can leave here with a level of confidence and no fear. You can leave here with a level of assurity that everything you left on your way here today, you have a different perspective of when you get back to it Later on today, the first thing that God says is that his people aren't to fear because he himself would be with them. He would strengthen and help them and uphold them with his right hand. His righteous, victorious hand. His hand that never fails. His promise is to be with his people. That means that wherever you are, the promise of God is that you are never alone. That he's right there to give you strength. Matter of fact, some of us has looked up and said, Lord, give me strength. While you're dealing typically with folks, people, give me strength. Lord, give me strength because in my weakness, I want to choke this person out. Lord, give me strength because in my weakness, I'm thinking all types of murderous thoughts. Lord, give me strength because if another word comes out of his or her mouth, they might find themselves fertilizing the earth and causing flowers to grow. Lord, give me strength. Even in the very worst times, believers are never to be in a place of dismay or frightened by the oppression of any enemy, whether it is foreign or domestic. Yeah, I said domestic. Sometimes the enemy will step right into your most close and intimate of relationships, but God is declaring, I am still in the midst. Even if the enemy seems stronger or wiser than you, and you feel extremely weak, the Lord promises to strengthen 
you because he chose you before the foundation of the world. Even when you fail or you collapse before your enemy, the Lord will still uphold you with his right hand, his hand of righteousness and justice. Look at what God says in his word. And God has to guard his word. He has to keep his word or else God is a liar. The wonderful thing about the word of God is the word of God cannot fail you. And he says in the second book of Timothy, in the fourth chapter, and the 18th verse, and the Lord shall deliver me <laughs> from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. That's everything that is evil, everything that is motivated by injustice, every immoral thing, every unright thing, every wrong thing. God said, I got you. And because God declared in his word that he's got me, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord God shall raise a standard. The Lord will shame and confuse everyone that opposes his people. His promise is that your enemies will perish by his victorious hand. You, 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 you busy trying to get rid of folk. God says when you get done, I'll show you how it's done. Sometimes you just got to let people be people, get out the way, pray for them because the word declares you ought to pray for your enemy. Pray for them that maybe because of the way you respond, their life will be saved. But if they reject salvation, then woe be unto them that deny the name of the Lord. But I'm getting out of the way. I'm taking my hands off and letting God do what God does. Because his promise is that he will totally eliminate all my enemies who contend with or wage war against me. I'm reminded of Don Corleone. Don Corleone was a bad man. He was so bad they penned him the Godfather. And as the Godfather, he had many enemies. And his son, Sonny Corleone, was a little bit of a wild one. He didn't think. He wasn't like his brother Anthony, who used his mind, was very crafty in his response to anything that came against the family. Sonny was a little wild and out there, and as a result, he was dangerous. 
So when it seemed like Don Corleone was on his way out, the heads of the other four families, there were five families in this movie that controlled all the crime, they came together and decided that they were going to kill Sonny because they didn't really know how Sonny would run things. And he was next in the line of succession. So they baited him into a trap and they killed him. And it looked like it might be over for the Corleone family. But Don Corleone had some other thoughts. And by the end of the movie, he wiped out all of the other families because they came against his son. I'm here to tell you God's promise is because your enemy had the audacity to come against you. You see, the enemy should have left you alone. But because he had the audacity to come against you, who are the chosen of God, the anointed of God, God says, I'm going to wipe them all from the face of the earth. The word declares you're even going to go look for them, and you won't find them because they're going to be gone. As a matter of fact, you ought to learn to speak prophetically when your enemy is speaking to you. So when your enemy opens his mouth, you ought to prophetically speak to them. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye. Because the Lord promises that anyone that wars against you, anyone that contends against you, whether it's a person, a place, or a thing, COVID is warring against humanity. God promised that he would wage war against that which wages war against you. I rebuke in the name of Jesus the power of COVID-19 over the believer. Because the word declares, and if I am going to re repeat or duplicate what Jesus does, I'm going to speak the word to my enemy. And the word declares that I am well and in good health, prospering in my mind, body, soul, and spirit, even as I prosper in the Lord. Yes, sir. Amen. The second thing, God's people aren't to fear because he was going to hold their right hand. We understand that the right hand is the hand of blessing. And God promised that he was going to hold your hand of blessing in the face of your enemy. Now I want you to understand and see that there's close relationship with God that's being stressed here. You see, there's something different about people who are just walking down the street together. They may be in the same step they may be on the same pace. They may be shoulder to shoulder. But you're not really sure about what kind of relationship 
they have with each other. Are they friends? Are they acquaintances? Are they strangers who just happen to be going in the same direction? Ah, but there's something special about those who are holding hands. The first picture you get in your mind is they must be in love with one another. They're holding hands and they're walking. Sometimes when my wife and I walk down the street, I'll grab her by the hand and I'll hold her hand because I want the world to know that she is mine and I am hers. There's relationship. God wants to hold your hand. I told you a while ago, sometimes I know when my wife's upset at me, we be in the car, and I put my hand on the shifter. That's a signal. It's a subconscious, subliminal blip that I throw out into the atmosphere of our environment that says, hold my hand. I don't have to utter it. I don't have to say nothing. She knows that if the hand hits the shifter, it's holding hand time. But there are times when she might be upset with me. So she turns her head so that she can't see in the peripheral that my hand is in the holding place. She, she wants me to know, I know something's happening in the atmosphere. But I don't want to see what's happening in the atmosphere because if I see what's happening in the atmosphere, I've got to respond to it because I'm in relationship with you. What the enemy does is he tries to get you distracted so you can't see what God is doing in the atmosphere. He's your God. He's going to uphold you with his right hand. His promise is that he's going to help you. When you begin to meditate upon the promise of God, it should give you a level of encouragement. Even when you're facing oppression and hardship, sickness, separation, frustration. You see, this type of relationship that's being demonstrated is something like you see in the commercials for insurance today. The insurance company wants you to believe that they're going to be there for you in your worst times. You can count on them to take you through no matter what. It reminds me of farmers. Have you ever seen a farmer's insurance commercial? They're always coming up with some crazy thing that happened, like a squirrel driving a car off a bridge. And they'll have some plaque in the farmer's hall of insurance that says, even if this crazy thing happens, we got you. Why? Because we've seen a few things. We've dealt with a few things. So they want you to know they got you. God wants you to know I've seen a few things. I've dealt with a few things. I've been where you are, but I've seen where you're going. Hallelujah. And the last thing that God 
tells his people this third point that you're not to fear. You're not to fear because he is your redeemer. He is your redeemer. Now, redeemer refers to a, um, for lack of a better word right now, a process in relationship that deals with being a kinsman. A kinsman redeemer in ancient days is the one that is responsible, who is in nearest line related to the family or the bloodline to provide for you and to protect you if those that stood with you have died. So the nearest relative was known as the redeemer or the kinsman. And the kinsman redeemer was responsible by law to save his relative from the trouble that his relative faced. The kinsman redeemer was by law responsible to avenge the death of a murdered relative. Numbers 35 and 19, the revenger of blood himself shall slay the murderer. When he meeteth him, he shall slay him. The redeemer responsibility was to redeem or buy back land that had been sold by a family member. Leviticus 25 and 25, if thy brother be waxen poor and have sold away some of his possession and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. That's awesome right there. I could park right there and talk to you for the next three hours, but you couldn't handle it. Even if you gave it away, the Redeemer would come and go get it back. That's you willfully giving it away. The law of the Redeemer was that he would go get what you had to give away. The Redeemer would go get what you had to give away. And here's the wonderful thing. The person that you gave it to had to release it. Every once in a while, you ought to tell the enemy. In my lack of wisdom, I let go of some stuff. But my Redeemer lives. And my Redeemer is going to get my stuff back. And you have to let it go. The Redeemer is even responsible to look after a family member who's faced a critical need and is helpless to meet that need. That need. Leviticus 25 and 35, if thy brother be waxen poor and fallen in decay with thee, then thou shalt relieve him. Yea, thou, he, though he be a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with thee. You're supposed to take care. The Redeemer is supposed to take care of you when you can't take care of yourself. And here's the one that always made me laugh. He's supposed to marry the wife of a dead brother 
who had no. Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 6 says, If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to him, a wife, and perform the duty of a husband, of a husband's brother unto her. In other words, he's supposed to help her carry on her brother's bloodline. This is the responsibility of the Redeemer, to keep your bloodline strong. It's to help family members secure justice in legal disputes and even in the courts of the land, Proverbs 23 and 11. For the Redeemer is mighty. He shall plead their cause with thee. My confidence is in Jesus pleading my case because he is my Redeemer. Simply, the kinsman Redeemer took care of weak family who faced critical or hopeless situations. This is the law of the kinsman redeemer, a law that was established by God himself. It was the principle of redemption that guaranteed the rescue or salvation of his people from a place of helplessness and hopelessness. People of God, Jesus is your kinsman redeemer, and he's bound to help you in your state of despair. And it is he who redeems, he who rescues, he who saves us from the impossible situations of life. No matter what the critical problems may be that you face, the Lord Jesus will redeem you and save you. He's bound to his word. He will rescue you. Looking at all the floods that hit the southern continent because of uh, hurricane or whatever, the storm, uh, Ida, there were people waiting to be rescued. Waiting to be rescued. And I don't know if you were paying attention and you heard this not only with the floods, but you heard this in California with the firefighters that are dealing with the forest fires there. Some of the leaders, when asked about the timing of the rescue, they would say, we're, we're getting things ready to send people in, but the fire's too hot. The flood waters are too high. It's not safe for us to send the rescuer in, so you just got to hold on a little while longer. But there is no fire too hot. There is no flood water too high to keep your rescuer from meeting you in the critical space of time that is necessary for you to be delivered from your despair. Everyone knows the story of the woman at the well. How Jesus went and ministered to her 
and they shared all this stuff, and they know the miracles that came before and the miracles that came after, but many people missed the miracle that took place right there. And that was the miracle of Jesus being at the well right when she needed him to speak a word into her life that would change her life forever. It's the miracle of time. God knew that she was going to be at that well at that moment, dealing with what she was dealing with. And he purposed, because he chose her, that Jesus would meet her when she didn't even know she was going to meet the man that was going to change her very life. Sometimes it looks like and it feels like you're all alone and you're wondering, where is God in all of this? When is God going to show up? Saints of God, he will never ever not be on time. He's already seen your deliverance. You are in the journey to be delivered. God has already been where your deliverance is. And he's delivered you right when deliverance was necessary. The Bible tells us that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. He didn't say that all things were good. He said all things work together for the good. Life sucks sometimes. Life is hard sometimes. Marriage is hard sometimes. Children are hard Sometimes friendships are hard. Sometimes finances are hard. Sometimes, but God said, Because I am your redeemer and I'm always right on time, all the hardship in your life, though it not be good, I'm gonna use it for your good. And to declare my glory over all of it. Because he chose you. 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 He chose chose the little one growing in your womb right now. He chose that one when you were in your mama's womb and your mama was in her mama's womb and her mama was in her mama's womb. He had already chose you. And he already witnessed the expansion of your lifespan and purposed to be in every point of it so that you would never be alone The enemy would never get the victory, and you could always have confidence that no matter what I'm going through, 
God's got me. No matter what I'm dealing with, God has got me. Job dealt with a lot. But his attitude was, God is righteous and just. And even if he lets me die in this condition, I'll still trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Why? Because he understood that God chose him, that he was in right relationship with him, and that God was going to work everything out for his good in some way, shape, or form. He may not understand what's happening when he's in the middle of his storm, but he knows that because God chose him, it's going to be used for the good of him. You may be going through something right now. You may be experiencing something in your life that's just really got you to the breaking point. God wants you to be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. That means he's already got victory over what you're dealing with. He's already got victory over who you're dealing with. And he is intimately connected with you. And he will Keep you. Put your confidence in God. God cannot fail you. It's not based or predicated on what you do. It's based on what you believe. Do you believe in Jesus? Because Jesus believes in you. In each and every one in this building and everyone under the sound of my voice, he believes in you so much he sent his son to die, to give his life up, to lay his life down. The word declares no man takes his life. He lays it down for us. Hallelujah. 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 He lays his life down for us because he's holding me by the hand as we walk through life to let me know I got you. I got you. You may be in that place right now where you're wondering if you're all alone, where it looks like the closest people to you have left you and you're high and dry. God wants you to know today that he will never leave you. And even when relationship was broken because of sin, because he would never leave us, he sent his son to die for us. He that knew no sin became sin for us, 
that we might become the righteousness through Christ Jesus. We traded places. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that today I can declare I am the redeemed of the Lord and my Redeemer liveth. Hallelujah. I invite you to join in communion with us as we celebrate this offer of God, this time when God stretched out his hand to let us know that he loves us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He wanted you to know that when you couldn't do it, he could and he would. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. tells us that the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as ye do it, do it in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. As often as ye drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. These elements represent the love of God for us. They're reminders that he chose us from the foundation of the world, that even when we broke fellowship with us, he would never break fellowship. Even though, even though we broke fellowship with him, he would never break fellowship with us. He wanted you to understand that he would go above and beyond even when you could not or would not. He would fight for your relationship. He would fight for you. This bread that represents the body of the Lord that was broken for us, battered, bruised, torn, ripped to shreds, enduring the punishment for our sin, taking upon himself that which we deserved, just to say to us that he loves us. This blood that represents his blood that was shed at Calvary, which washed away all the sin of the world. My sin has been removed. I've been cleansed. I'm the redeemed. I am his chosen. And he is my Christ, my Messiah, my Savior, my Redeemer. Father, now in the name of Jesus, bless these sacraments as they represent your body and your blood. Father, let us remember in this moment your outstretched hand. <laughs> 
let us remember in this moment the love that you have for us. That when we could not deliver ourselves, you left your exalted position, took upon the form of flesh, and you delivered us back into your hands. That we might today enjoy the privilege of being a friend of God. So today we say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The name of the Lord rise among us and his enemies be scattered. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that you come and partake in communion with us. represents the body of the Lord. He broke it, and he gave thanks, and then he ate it. This that represents the blood of our Lord. He gave thanks, and they drank it. I know it was the blood I know it was the blood I know it was the blood for me 